Tonight is going to be a little more of a devotional time. I'm, I'm going to share from 1 Peter 1, if you want to turn there. And it's, it's kind of mainly what God's been doing. I work in my life over the last two, two to three years. And, um, and so it was helpful that Kevin said like 20 minutes, more devotional. Because I, I paused for a few minutes when he asked. Uh, he said, don't overthink it. All right, then I'm in. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll take a look at some of these things here in 1 Peter 1. Father, you are so gracious. You are so merciful, Lord. And I just am so thankful for all that you've done for all of us. You know, as we even gather as your people tonight, Lord, we gather because you love us. And you've demonstrated that great love for us in sending the Son. And Jesus, you came. You came and took our place. You took on the wrath of the Father that we all deserve. Hard to comprehend, Jesus. We don't really, I don't think, even fully understand everything that you took on. But we're so thankful. We're so thankful that we don't have to take that on. We're so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you came and you moved in our lives, that you convicted us of sin, and you convinced us of the truth, and you did a renewing work in our spirits and caused us to be born again. So we're only here because of the work that you've done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we do, we just want to give you praise, and we want to give you honor. I'm so thankful for an opportunity, a night to just spend more time worshiping, just singing to you and telling you how grateful we are. And we understand, Lord, we understand how great you are. You are a great God, much greater than we can even comprehend. And yet in your grace, Lord, you bow down and you listen to us. You, you do in our lives what needs to be done, Lord, to bless us with an incredible inheritance. And we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I'm gonna just read verse 13 for you. This, it's kind of almost the middle of the chapter, pretty much. And it's kind of um, really what I think God has been trying to do in my life over the le- at least three years, maybe the last four years. Um, it took, I'm a little slow. I, I started, we started coming here about five years ago, and it was really beneficial to come to Calvary. Um, we hadn't been in a, a good Bible teaching church in a while, um, my opinion. My wife is here, so I have to be careful. I speak only the truth. (laughs) But in my opinion, and you know, I don't know why we didn't come to Calvary right away when we came, when we moved to Oregon, but we didn't. And so coming, we just thought, wow, it's good to be in a place where the Bible is taught. And in about a year after coming, I think it just, the Bible has an effect on you, right? It it changes your life. So, but I think, you know, and, and part of my personality is I like to learn things and I, I like to like, study the scripture, but I think what God has been trying to do in my life over the last four years is take it beyond just having a knowledge of what the Bible says and to actually live it. I kind of like the idea of knowing things but not actually having to live them. Because when you read the Bible, it's not always fun and games, is it? It's not always blessings, it's not always sweetness. There's some difficult things that happen to those who follow Jesus. And if I, it's in my will to any way I can, I will avoid those things. 
But at the same time, I want to be faithful to my Lord and Savior after all that he's done for me. So in verse 13, Peter says to his readers, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a transforming verse right there. If that gets into your spirit, if that gets into your understanding... And I think that's what God's been trying to get into my understanding. But to, to give a little bit of background, notice that he says in verse 13, therefore. So when there's a therefore, you always have to ask, why is the therefore therefore? Right? You guys have heard that probably way too many times. So we look back and we look at the beginning. And in the first part of the chapter, he pretty much describes everything that God has actually done for us. And then after verse 13, he describes... What, that, what kind of effect that should have in our lives, right? And so, starting in verse 1, Peter's writing to these individuals who he calls aliens who are scattered out throughout this area, which is basically in Asia at his time. But I want to say this too, Peter is also writing to us. And you notice at the very end of the chapter in verse 25, or maybe start in verse 23, the people he's writing to, he says this about them, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Was that word preached to you? Amen, it was, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight and you're here, that word was preached to you. And Peter said, this is who I'm writing to you, those who the word was preached to, those who have been born again with an imperishable seed. So these things, all these things that he's writing, he's writing about us. So even though he's writing it to a specific people in a specific historical setting, it applies to our lives also. This is meaningful to us. And this is who they are. This is how he describes them. You are the chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. I mean, I know you know this, but do you ever stop and just reflect upon the fact that if you're here tonight and you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because of what he has done? It's fascinating. This is the work of the Trinity, right? It was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that we would obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. The Trinity had a plan. God, from eternity past, looked way out through the human history. He saw where we were headed. He saw what we were going to do. You know, and he could have just decided, hey, I'm not going to create them. But in his great love, he saw that there would be people who would respond. And he wanted to share his love with those people. And if you're here tonight and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you're one of those people. God has chosen you according to his foreknowledge. And he sent the Holy Spirit to make sure that you grasped the reality of the truth of the gospel. And he transformed your life. And he's given you the capability to obey the Lord Jesus Christ because you've been sprinkled with his blood and have received the forgiveness of your sins through what Jesus has done for you on the cross. I mean, it's powerful. This is what our loving God has done for us. This is what the Almighty Savior has accomplished. He has transformed our lives. And he goes on to describe it. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, this is the great work that God has done for us. You know, Paul says it like this in Titus. He says, well, when the kindness of God our Savior appeared and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of works which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, who he poured out upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is what he's talking about in verse 3 when he says he caused us to be born again. And I don't know about you, but do you ever sometimes just kind of wonder, like, am I actually born again? Is this actually really true? And what does he say? He says he's done this through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have a living hope. Why? Because we have a living Lord, right? And you ever wonder, if you ever just have any, any slight doubt, all you have to do is ask yourself, where's the body of Jesus? I like to go to his tomb and honor him can't do it, can you? Because his tomb is empty. He's not there. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord. And what he's done as a result of this, not only has he provided us with an ability to be forgiven of all of our sins so that we no longer are under the wrath of God, no longer under condemnation, but he's given us an inheritance, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. We have an inheritance coming from the God of the universe. Do you think that compares at all like if you had an inheritance coming from Jeff Bezos? See, we think Jeff Bezos' inheritance would be great, right? That's our natural tendency, to think that this world actually has things to offer us, things that are good, things that are enjoyable, things that are pleasurable, things that would be fun, things that would make us really enjoy life. But there's not a single billionaire on this earth who could leave us an inheritance greater than what God the Father has done for us. We have an inheritance and this is all leading up to this thing of fixing our hope on the grace to be brought to us. We have an inheritance. And that inheritance will never fade away. It's undefiled. It's reserved in heaven. And we can be assured of it. Why? Why? Because of ourselves? Because we have enough strength in ourselves to make sure it lasts, to make sure we obtain it? No, we don't. We have that assurance because we're protected by the power of God in verse 5 through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are protected by the power of God. I mean, that's just awesome. Is there anything more powerful than God? Can anything rob us of our inheritance? Not a thing. Even the faith, if we were to get into and debate it, faith actually, you know, comes to us kind of as a gift. You know, we do respond. I won't remove human responsibility. We do have to respond to the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit comes and convicts us of sin and even gives us the ability to respond. And burst that faith in us. And that faith receives what God has done for us. And we're protected. We're protected by his power. So, but even if necessary, he says, we rejoice in this fact that we're protected by this. But even though for a little while, in verse 6, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You know, it's always interesting with the Bible, right? You always wonder, like, why did you put that right there? We were on such a high note. Why did you have to throw this stuff in about suffering? This stuff about trials. Well, because they were going through suffering, right? But look how he uses it. He uses their, their suffering in a very interesting way. He says, even though if necessary, you've been stressed by various trials. Anybody going through difficulties, trials? There's a lot of people in this body going through difficulties and trials. 
Fascinating things. Look what he says it does. He says, you're going through these trials so that the proof or the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, you're going through difficulties, you're going through extreme trials, and there's some really significant trials that people in this body have been going through. And you know what? If you're still here, if you haven't doubted God, if you haven't turned your back, it demonstrates the genuineness of your faith. It gives you proof that you're real, that you truly do belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that he promises, all the inheritance really are yours. It's, it's interesting because he allows us to go through these trials to actually help us to understand that he has really done a work in us. He has actually transformed who we are. Because if you're not genuine and you start to go through some of these things, what are you going to do? You're just going to actually blame God and probably walk away. But instead, you know you don't understand all that's happening, but you know that you can trust our Heavenly Father because you know what he's already done for you. You know what he's proven. He's proven his love for you. And so he allows us to go through these trials so that we will know the genuineness of our own faith. It's actually for our benefit that we go through these. And verse 8 just fascinates me. He says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It reminds me of Thomas, right? We know the story of Thomas. Thomas wouldn't believe. He didn't see Jesus. Unless I put my hands and my finger in his hands or in his side, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus came and rebuked him. And what did he tell him? He says, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believed. And guess who those people are? A lot of you sitting in the room right here tonight. And I thought about that. You know, the fact that we're all sitting here like that, that fact that we believe in the reality of who Jesus is, even though we have not seen him, what a testimony to the power of God. I mean, look around. We're not alike. Most of us, we don't come from the same background. We don't come from the same areas. We don't come from the same families. We don't come from the same value systems. And we've heard it before. Most of us probably wouldn't be friends if we weren't in Christ. And why is that? Why are all of us who have come from such different, varied backgrounds, why do we all have the same faith? It's not because we generated it. It's not because we created it. It's not because something we came up with. Because it's a genuine work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a testimony to the power of God. It's a testimony to what he has done. That all of us sitting here tonight would be gathered together and we all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we don't see him, we still believe in him. And we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the salvation of our souls, or obtaining as the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And then he goes on to tell, he talks about these prophets who, were, who really were prophesying about the coming Messiah, man, and they really wanted to know who he was. And they really wanted to know when he was coming and where he was coming to. But it was, it was revealed to them that they weren't going to experience that, but they were serving us. I mean, we live in a remarkable time because we live in the time of the Messiah. We live in the new covenant. We are experiencing the promises that were given through the prophets in the Old Testament. And it's really quite fascinating. He says, we are those people to whom the message has been announced, to you through whom to those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You know, that's a fascinating verse, don't you think? 
he's speaking to these individuals living at this time in Asia, and he's saying that when the, when the gospel was preached to them, it was preached to them by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that caught my attention. See, we have the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak through us if we preach the gospel to people, if we share with people, if we just open our mouths and allow the Spirit to speak through us. We have the opportunity to be those people who speak by the Holy Spirit the gospel into people's lives. So back to our verse, verse 13. So what he's saying, because God has done all this for you, because God took the initiation, because God did the work, because God made sure you responded, because you were born again by what he did in your life, he said, because of that, prepare your minds for action. You know, be serious about this. Take it seriously. And the only thing I kept thinking of is, I know if you didn't play sports, most of you have probably been a spectator of sports at some point. You've either played or you've been a spectator or you've, somehow you've been around sports, right? Either football, soccer, basketball, baseball. And you've heard those encouraging words that co coaches yell from, you know, the dugout or the bench or the sideline, right? Maybe you've had these encouraging words yelled at you. Get your head the game. Where are you at? What are you thinking? What's going on with you? That's all I could think of when I thought about this. That's basically what Peter's saying. Get your head in the game. The Lord Jesus Christ has done all these things in your life, and he's transformed your life. So get your head in the game. And then he goes on and says, be sober. Now, your translation, like my translation, might have in, in italics, be sober in spirit. But it literally just means be sober. Don't be intoxicated. Right? And obviously, so don't drink a lot of alcohol. I mean, that's just black and white. Even though marijuana is legal in Oregon, don't smoke a lot of dope. Be sober. But what is it, what is it when we get intoxicated? What are we doing? We're actually looking for an avenue of escape, are we not? So for me, what God was speaking to me, and he started this, and he started in the fourth chapter because he says the same thing. He started telling me, like, you do a lot of things in your life to escape. And some of those things aren't necessarily bad things, and I can't really tell you the things in my life because they might not be the same things in your life. But this is what he's saying. He's saying, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So... Are you doing things that is helping you to fix your hope on that? Are you living your life in such a way that Jesus is coming back, like he could actually come back before I finish this? And what a blessing that would be, right? Okay, no laughter. <laughs> He'll get you out of this. Pray for the rapture. But seriously, you know, and, and, and I have to say that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was doing a lot of things where I just wanted to take it easy. I just wanted to be free. I just wanted to be leisurely. I just wanted to be comfortable. I just wanted to experience pleasure. Because sometimes serving Christ is hard. And sometimes it's hard to press in and actually get to know the Lord. You see, but, said, but don't let those things, don't let those distractions dominate your life. Don't let those things that cause discouragement dominate your life. Don't let those things that dilute your faith dominate your life. Be sober, be sober, be focused. And that's the contrast, be focused. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God, which is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, it's rather fascinating, right? It's a great statement. 
What's coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ? What are we going to be given? The grace. So the fullness of all that Christ has done for us is going to be manifested at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of the blessings that we have, we're going to be with him and we're going to be face-to-face with God. And the things that we've known in part, we're going to know in full, right? And we're going to be completely transformed and we're going to be in a place where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more curse, no more ability to actually disobey God. To me, that's the most fascinating thing of all. He's going to transform me in such a way that I'm going to be like Jesus in the sense I'm going to live an obedient life. I'm going to walk in obedience to him. I don't do that right now. I hope you do. I'm glad if you do. You're lying right now, but I hope... Oh, I'm sorry. But I don't do that. I don't walk in complete obedience, and I want to. It's disappointing, isn't it? It's disappointing when you do something that you know is displeasing to God or you know... It just wasn't the right thing to do. It's disappointing, but that's who we are. We're fleshly individuals who are being sanctified, who are being transformed. And one day we're going to be completely renewed at the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ when we get that grace when it's brought to us. The undeserved, unmerited favor of God where he completely transforms us and gives us what was originally intended before we rebelled. What a glorious day. So he's saying, fix your hope on that. Fix your hope on that. Why? Because life is difficult. And we can't get through if we don't realize we're actually going somewhere. We actually have something in store. We have something ahead of us. We have a great inheritance of the God of the universe that he's going to bestow upon us. I mean, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around that, the fact that we're actually going to be in the presence of the living God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think about it. Have you created a universe lately? No, either have I. When I just think about what it took to do that, how awesome God really is. And sometimes I take it too lightly, just how wonderful and how great he is, how majestic he is, how huge he is, how powerful he is, and yet he's so loving and kind that he would bestow upon us this wonderful gift to be able to live in his presence for an eternity. And that's going to be awesome, totally awesome. It's fascinating to me, though, because he says that we're looking for this grace, right? So then it kind of makes you think, what comes after seemed kind of strange to me initially. Because <clears throat> look what he says right after, I'm looking for this grace to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But then in verse 14, he says, so as obedient children, then do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. At first, I kind of thought, well... If I'm looking for grace, then maybe he's going to say, well, okay, well, grace is coming so you can kind of take it easy because you're not earning it anyway. But it's fascinating. That's not what Peter says, right? Instead of saying, hey, don't worry about it. Just relax. Enjoy your life. Nothing, you have nothing to worry about. You're going to be given grace. But because you're going to be given grace, he says, because of that, because of what God has done for you, don't go back. Don't go backwards. Don't live your life according to the former pat- patterns that you had, according to your former lust. And really, what is it? What are the things we live for? It doesn't have to be ugly lust. It doesn't have to be porn. It doesn't have to be, you know, the bad things we always think of lust. Lust is anything we're desiring, anything that we're pursuing, anything that we have a passion for over and above our relationship with the living God. You know, and I think, unfortunately, that for a lot of us, there's a lot in this world that draws us away. There's a lot of this world that's enticing. There's a lot in this world that we kind of would want to experience. 
And Peter's basically saying, don't go back to that. You've been drawn out of that. You've been saved from that. You have something much greater coming to you, much greater ahead, which we can even experience right now. And it's interesting, you know, um, well, and in verse 15 he says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So you don't go back to the way you were before you knew God. Live in line with who God is and what he has done in your life. And then in verse um, 17, he says, fascinating, another fascinating verse. He says, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. If you, it's interesting that he uses the term Father, right? Because we usually don't think of the Father as the one who is going to be judging us. But the Father is going to be judging us. And we realize, right, you guys know this. You know there's two judgments. You know there's the great white throne judgment, spoken of in Revelation 20. But there's also the judgment for us as believers. You know, it's a topic, like, who wants to talk about that? But this is the thing, why does God reveal this to us? Why does God tell us that we're going to stand before him and give an account of our lives? Because it's going to really happen. <laughs> and wouldn't it be kind of unloving if he didn't prepare us? Wouldn't it be kind of unloving if we didn't realize we were actually going to stand before him and he's going to say, hey, what did you do in following me? How did you exercise your faith? Did you follow me in obedience? And then we're going to, well, I didn't realize that I was going to actually have to give an account. I thought I could just do whatever I wanted to do. See, but that's not actually the gospel, right? The gospel is we've been transformed in order so that we could live according to the way that God wants us to live. And he tells us we're actually going to stand before him. And, and the nice thing is he judges with impartiality. That means I don't have to live my life the way you live your life. I have to live my life according to what God has called me to do. And even if we have the same giftings, he's going to judge me based on how I use my giftings, not how you use your giftings. And it's not going to be obviously a harsh judgment, but it's also an opportunity for what? And see, and this is the main point. It's an opportunity for me to demonstrate my gratefulness for what God has done in my life. This is your only opportunity to do that, according to my understanding of Scripture. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but it says right now in 2 Corinthians 5 that right now we live by faith. Once, we're, once Jesus has been revealed or once we die and go to be with him, it's no longer faith. There is no longer an opportunity to prove we trust him. There's no longer an opportunity to demonstrate our trust in him because we're going to see him face to face. And see, I, I just kind of always forget this. And it's not so much that I'm trying to earn God's favor, but God is giving us an opportunity to demonstrate our gratefulness and our love for him by being obedient to him. I mean, the great thing is, as Ryan's been preaching, we don't do this on our own. All we got to do is be faithful. All we got to do is surrender. All we got to do is respond. But for me, the thing that helps me to respond most, that helps me to keep this all in mind is if I focus on the fact that Jesus is coming back. He is returning. And at that point, he's going to completely and totally transform me. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful for what he's done. And I'm so thankful that he's made it real in my life. And I'm thankful that he's made it real in your life. And I'm done. Thank you for listening. And Lord, yeah.
And Lord, I do just want to give you thanks. I'm thankful for Jesus, what you have done. And I do, I want to change. And I know it, it, it's not up here talking where the change needs to take place. It needs to take place in my everyday life. Every moment when I have free time. Every moment when there's nothing scheduled. Every moment, Lord, when you're there with me. I want to be transformed, Lord. I want to start living my life like I'm truly going into your presence. No more seeking for the things of this world, Lord. And, and I know everybody here really wants that. They want to be free. They want to be free to seek you, Lord. They want to be free to live in your presence. They want to be free to please you. They want to be free to experience you. Lord, we have real enemy. We have, we have the devil, Lord, and all of his minions. We have the world system that he's established, and we have our flesh. So, Holy Spirit, come and give us victory. Show us how to overcome these things through your word and through the word of your testimony and the blood of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.